All right, we're back, and uh, Quentin, this week we are Paparazzi Productions. And uh, Quentin, how are you doing this week? I'm good. I'm glad that you chose a name that was an homage to the greatest promotion in North American history, which is TNA Impact yes. and its best time period. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. I mean, I think... I, I mean, you're a, like a known TNA guy. Like, neither one of us are like Garrett Kidney level, but I think... I don't know if people think of me as a TNA fan, but I was a pretty big TNA fan. I mean, I, I like watched it when it was on TV back in the day, like all, semi-religiously. Like I followed TNA, and I always kind of did. So, uh, so big TNA fans on this podcast here. So, so definitely both of us uh, into the TNA era. Um, yeah, we, we couldn't do we couldn't do a TNA uh, history podcast like our friends uh, no. Garrett and Liam, <laughs> but. Uh, we could we could we could get you to like at least maybe like 2012 probably <laughs> yeah right definitely uh, <laughs> definitely I mean I watched it from I, I watched the weekly pay-per-views I didn't pay for the weekly pay-per-views but I uh, I actually downloaded a few of them and would watch them you know semi-regularly from the beginning um, but either way that's not why we're here today no we but there was a big uh, there was a big weekend on the Indies here that we're gonna talk about primarily Um but before we get into that, I guess the, the the biggest news is the you know the big the big ratings wars are back, but now they're Friday nights. We've got uh, SmackDown on FS1 extending a half hour to intentionally have a head-to-head competition for AEW Rampage. So um, deli- so so de- so deliberate and petty too. Yeah, and I mean, then it's like Tony Khan. All right, you want to you want to play this game? I'll call you guys out. He not only uh, says, okay, we're going to like go head-to-head with you, but he adds on a pre-show match free on YouTube. Brian Danielson versus Minoru Suzuki. Um, and Bobby Fish versus Lee Moriarty. <laughs> yeah, so just to really dig in and be like, all right, you know what? You want to come at us for a half hour of our show? I'm going to undercut you online uh, for, you know, whatever, a half hour before. <laughs> yeah, so... It's pretty fucking crazy. Um, and then the news note. Did you see the news that just kind of came out today? The idea that WWE has been leaking the fast overnight ratings for Rampage um, to news to news outlets intentionally. Um, yeah. Very odd. Strange, strange, uh, strange company that even when you think that they've conceded defeat and realize that this they gain nothing from doing this, they go... They can't. They can't help themselves. They got, gotta be petty. Gotta dig their heels. They in. can't help themselves. Yeah, and uh, and take it even beyond the point of uh, anything. But uh, but yeah, definitely <laughs> interesting and unique uh, unique stuff there. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> News wise, um, I guess I mentioned to you GCW. Uh, they had a big weekend fight club with Mox versus Gage. Um, I think they also ran a uh, JCW show um, that actually had a pretty decent match on it that I would recommend for people to check out. Um, Matt Mikowski versus JJ Garrett. I saw a GIF. This is where the GIF wrestling thing works. Saw a GIF of a weird move. Said, you know what? I'm going to go out of my way to check that out. And pretty decent little match there. Um, would have been better probably in any other promotion. You know, because it's GCW. These two guys actually, honestly, would fit in much better other places. And you see that, as we'll talk about Matt Mikowski later in Beyond. Like, J.J. Garrett versus Matt Mikowski in, in Beyond, probably a much better match. But uh, 
even on the JCW here, it's it's decent. Um, was that was that JCW or GCW? That, that was that? JCW, you know, Jersey okay. Championship Wrestling, I guess. Which is I don't know if they even still technically consider that it is Jersey. I don't even know. Um, either way, um, J- GCW Mox versus Gage. You said you checked out Mox versus Gage, correct? I did. I saw I saw Moxie versus Nick Gage. What did you uh, What did you think of the best wrestler on the planet? Uh, you know, taking on uh, John Moxley for his championship. <laughs> um, it was definitely a good atmosphere, which is what you expect from GCW. When the bare minimum from what you expect from GCW shows, you expect a crazy atmosphere, and it felt like a big deal. It was nice to see Mox in a full-on deathmatch setting again. He felt right at home, and didn't feel like he felt out of place coming back to that world. My main issue is that while I enjoyed the match, the match was fun. The finish was super, super flat to me. The finish uh, felt really flat. I think that can be a problem a lot in de- in deathmatch stuff. And for as special as this match felt, for the atmosphere this match had, for the charisma and crowd connection that this match uh, was flowing with, it was a pretty flat feeling finish. And it feels like they have something better in them that I'm not sure we'll get. Maybe we will. But for how big this match is, for how long the buildup has been, the anticipation, the wait for it, the history, everything surrounding it, and for how fun the match was up until that point, the finish did feel really flat. Yeah, this match, unfortunately, I mean, I don't know if, have you done, did you do like the Nick Gage Invitational Reviews with me or any of that kind of stuff before? I don't know if you have, if you were on any of that. I can't even remember at this point. That was like, yeah, we might have did one in 2019. We might have did one of those. Something like that. But this was definitely a, I don't know if Nicky still really got it much more than the Aura stuff. um, Because he really was not there for most of this match. Uh, Obviously the crowd's hype for him. He's really an entrance at this point. Uh, more than he's ever been in the past. And it's like, that's like a talking point that people have used for a long time about Gage, obviously. But I think that it's honestly a lot more true now than it's ever been. Um, and I think that uh, to, to get into my bigger point that I will be later or foreshadow it a little bit, I think talking points is kind of a, a thing when it comes to GCW. Um, like talking points that maybe were not as true or not as true anymore. Just the fact that like people don't pay attention to, to the way that things change. Um, but yeah, I just, I think the gauge was gauge served his role, but it made it for a very boring match. Um, I thought, like you said, Mox took to it really well. It was really a John Moxley show for any kind of excitement. It was coming from Moxley. Um, even just something like, you know, taking a, a bundle of light tubes from the opening and bleeding instantly. Yeah. Really helped. Yeah. Uh, doing fucking glass angels in the middle of the ring, busting out the pizza cutter. Like he really, uh, he really went for it. And, and you know what? I shout out to Joseph. He was doing a little live commentary in the, in the, in the chat about uh, Madman Pondo versus uh, Hoodfoot Mo Atlas in a dog collar four corner fuckery match. Um, so I went out of my way to check it out and Gage is not to the Pondo level. In that match, Pondo was literally immobile. The guy could barely get in and out of the ring. 
um, add in a dog collar and, and it's fucking gruesome. And goddamn, I just had to point something out from that match. If anybody, I don't recommend anybody watch it, but fucking Mo Atlas is game as fuck. Obviously, he's starting to do a lot more death matches, but he let Pondo like straight up gig him with a fucking but like a knife. It looked like kind of like a serrated like steak knife or something. But you could see really? Pondo digging in. He was legitimately gigging him to fuck on his forehead. And I'm just like, God damn, like, <laughs> has this motherfucker not seen mass transit? Like, you don't just let some dumbass, like, fucking Pondo start carving into your head like that. Like, God. Oh, yeah, of course not. Yeah, I was just like, fuck, dude. He was going at him. I'm just like, this is crazy. So, whatever. That, that shit was crazy. But, yeah, Gage is not quite to the level of, like immobile that pondo is but he's just like barely here for this match um but that said i mean like you said it's hot as fuck the, the crowd is super into it gcw fucking mutant fans are just like it's a whole nother breed um and i just thought that the the ambiance the crowd reactions the the stuff like mick foley is going to you know award the title to the champion oh dude mick, and mick foley was really good on commentary yeah. too like if like everything about it like really was super enjoyable yeah no this was a, an awesome presentation you've got one of the biggest stars in all of wrestling in the main event he's game he's not coming in here just taking a payday he's clearly having fun he's you know and it's big time shit and and like gcw you know whatever maybe i've softened on them a little bit maybe i'm maybe i'm just trying to cover for myself because i'm going to a couple of their shows here in like a week two weeks or something but uh i think gcw honestly it's not for me and and i'm not i'm not a huge fan of it but i watched basically this whole show um and like a lot of the talking points about gcw in the past specifically one i think are just in the past and people are are not people basically have turned off on gcw and just stuck with their same opinion of it without like watching what it's like now because this is not the same gcw at all that it was with like the gauge versus tremont matches and stuff like that like gcw is much bigger the crowd base is fucking like rabid for them they also have a place for legends you know they, they're bringing in people to put them over big stars and realistically not doing a ton of deathmatch and deathmatch adjacent stuff um as much as they or not as much as they used to and I think the biggest talking point that people used to always love to say, and it's just not true, is that, like, GCW doesn't have any storylines or any booking. Because, I mean, looking at this show, there's a couple matches that are just random, but for the most part, there's something to and something behind most of these matches more than just random matches being thrown out there. Like, the opening match is a trios match that really, to me... Reminded me a lot of, like, ECW, old ECW trios matches. Especially with the fact that you got Zayn and Leo Rush coming in here that are both former WWE guys against Ninja Mac, who's, like, GCW's guy. And, G and Ninja Mac got, gets a huge shine. And, obviously, it's this match is about showing that their guys are on the level of WWE guys and can go with them and can even be more crazy, do bigger, wilder spots, and are more on the vanguard of high flying. So it's like Leo Rush thought of as like one of the, you know, most talented fast paced wrestlers from WWE. Alex Zane was thought of as like doing the craziest spots. And then you got Ninja Mac in there and he's kind of outshowing both of them at, at their game throughout the match. So it's like, okay, there's something behind this Dickinson and Starboy Charlie. There's a story to them as a tag team that's been built up. 
They had matches with each other. Starboy Charlie eventually proved himself to Dickinson, and now Dickinson's got his back, and they're a tag team, and they're going up against Janela and Stunt. Another, these guys are signed to AEW. These guys are big stars. They're going up against our guys, our homegrown guys, who have a history with each other. So it's like, there's a story there. There actually is, like, booking and story to GCW. The biggest problem that they have is that their commentators don't tell the stories on commentary, so it's easy to overlook it. But if you pay attention, there's, like, actual story. All of Jordan Oliver, Atticus Kogar, no thank you, didn't watch it, don't care. Maybe there's a story, maybe there's not, don't give a shit. Cardona and Effie, there's a fucking long-time story behind these guys. They're trading back and forth the internet championship. They're feuding with each other online. Chelsea Green comes out to help Effie. Like, there's something to this. GCW is not just random spot fest matches and blood and guts. They're actually, like, telling you telling stories. Now, do I care about all of these stories? Am I invested in them? Not really. But there is stories there. And I feel like people just use that same talking point and say, GCW, all they do is random matches and stunt shows and there's nothing else to it. They maybe have an angle in the main event and that's it. But there's nothing else and it's not true anymore. And if you're not paying attention to something, you can't just like use the same talking point and stick with it forever without paying attention that things have changed and the company is actually booking stuff and telling stories they're good or bad that's not the point but they are trying to tell stories and do some booking and not just have random stunt show matches and that's it um you got the fucking briscoe brothers showing up to challenge the second gear crew for the tag team titles like that's an insane unique interesting thing like I'm sorry, GCW is just... I don't like the company. I don't like the people who run the company. I I fucking hate Kevin Gill on commentary. But, like, they are taking big steps forward into being more than just a blood and guts, like, CZW knockoff company. And they are kind of turning, like, with talking about the Mick Foley thing and everything that's going on here. Like, they're feeling more and more like a modern-day ECW and less and less, like, just a CZW ripoff. And, uh kind of interesting to see where they're going to move forward um from that but but uh i i like i said i know you didn't see the rest of the show so you probably don't don't really know like what i'm talking about with all that but uh i just kind of i thought about that i'm like damn like gcw is not just like what people basically say it is at this point and just write it off as at this point you know i didn't expect a very impassioned defense of gcw from you to start the podcast (laughs) this week but here we are. Yeah, I mean, again, I can't really comment on it because I didn't watch the show and I don't watch full GCW shows. But, and I know your point wasn't that the stories are necessarily good. Right. But while they are changing and adding and doing things that they might not have been doing much of in the past, you also would want good stories from the biggest indie in America. I, I would, I do hope and wish that they would, you know, write and have better storylines. Like, do I wish that the biggest indie in America was like action, where they actually tell good stories and have good booking? Yes, but you know, people try to write it off and say that there's no, there's just no storylines in GCW, and I'm like, ah, eh, it's kind of not true at this point. There's like definitely some storylines going on. Um. Um. Well, I don't think we got, like, I guess we got your Gage versus Mox thoughts, but Mox wins. Mox retains the title. How do you feel about that? And what are your thoughts on GCW going forward 
ideally, if this was a promotion that was ran in the efforts of building somebody new, you know, someone like AJ Gray, Alex Cologne, uh, somebody, somebody like that would be next in line to win that title. Someone like Mance Warner, Matthew Justice, anyone from anyone from that crew. If you eventually want to build up Chris Dickinson or even like Starboy Starboy Charlie to get there, but it's also GCW. So, what are your thoughts on Mox retaining here and the future of the GCW belt? Do you think we're going to see Mox semi regularly on GCW shows? Is it going to remain a special occasion thing? And ideally, who should be beating Moxley for the title? It felt like they were going to go with Jordan Oliver for a while there would be a guy that they started pushing as a top guy, but I don't know. I don't know if there's still if that's still a focus for them. It's possible. I think AJ Gray, as you mentioned there, probably makes more sense than anybody else, uh, especially because one, another thing I wanted to mention when I talk about that they clearly are putting a little bit more effort into booking and, and having like things matter is they brought back the tag team titles. You know, they, they actually are putting some emphasis on the idea that they're going to have a tag division. And as you talked about the second gear crew um, with Manson and and Matthew justice being the tag team champions, you've got AJ gray there to, uh, to be a singles and possibly go after the heavyweight championship. So it does kind of make sense. I would think that he would be the guy you go with, but I mean, realistically, I, I would see maybe Dickinson would be a guy that they could go with. Um, just, you know, in the GCW world, but nobody stands out. And I think that you're right that that's like the biggest issue. And obviously, you know, I talked about the trios match, but there was also like a seven way scramble on the show. And it's like, okay, just the trios match, I think would have been enough, but you got the seven way scramble and you've got someone like Calvin Tankman in there who I think could be built up as a guy, but he's just in a random match that doesn't matter. You know, so it's, it's tough to say where they would be going. AJ Gray probably looks like the most poised to to challenge but is an aj gray mox match what you want to see dickinson i think could make some sense um but yeah that's the tough part is that even with the idea that i say that they are doing some kind of booking it's not very good and it's not very clear so nothing really seems obvious where they would go um and i could also see them just doing something fucking random and bringing in some somebody big and having them you know win the title like some random outsider or something like that so who knows? And that's kind of the, the, the worst part about it is GCW is that, like, who knows who, who beats Mox? And honestly, it doesn't matter, and I don't care. That championship is not really important. Um, and I do think that, like, the idea... I think that the idea that, that Gage held it for so long in a lot of other settings would build up a prestige to the championship. But honestly, the Gage, like, having the title for so long always just made it turn into, like, it felt like the title was an afterthought. Um, and it never really felt like it was important um, because it always felt like, oh, Gage is just going to keep it. And then basically when he, lo- when he lost it, it kept being, kept being like kind of flukes. Um, speaking of which, I did think about something. And, and this is just an odd little detail that I, you know, crossed my mind. And then I was like, oh, duh. Um, when the whole Ricky Shane Page angle with the championship started, uh, Ricky like stole the belt from from gage and took it and then part of the angle was that he ricky took the belt to japan and defended it on the gcw japan shows and talked shit about how gage couldn't travel 
you know, and it was kind of covering up for Gage was, you know, on probation or whatever. He can't travel internationally, especially not to Japan. So you needed like Ricky Shane Page to be the champion. And it's just kind of funny how then um, COVID happened. <laughs> and then it didn't matter that Gage couldn't travel because no one could. Um, I just thought about that. And I was like, oh, that's kind of that's kind of funny the way that worked out. Um, where part of the storyline was Nick Gage can't travel. And uh, by the end of it, it didn't matter that he couldn't travel because nobody could travel. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they do with Mox either. I, I think he'll be semi-regularly regular, but I don't think there's any chance he can be, you know, fully regular on every show. Um, and that is probably why they have stuff like the tag team belts and they can build up stuff around the tag team belts being defended more regularly, um, including against uh, the Briscoe brothers, which I'm going to get to see, which I'm very excited for. Um, are you going to go, that was a little bit of a trip for you, but Mox showed up and Defy had a face off with Shaft. So if they run, if they're going to wind up running that anytime, so you're going to go see that? Probably not. <laughs> not, uh, not as excited <laughs> to see Shaft, unfortunately, but, uh, but you know, I'll go, I'll check out. I mean, I ended up, I started out, I was only going to the, 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 um, blood sports show, you know, I was just excited for that. And then. Eventually, I was like, ah, I'll just buy a ticket for the, the the regular GCW show. And then as stuff has gotten announced, I've gotten more excited um, for some of the stuff that's going to be on there. So if GCW comes back and they have a decent looking card, decent looking names involved, I might start going again. Because, I mean, PWG and the Globe Theater isn't what it used to be. So if I'm going to spend that kind of money for the tickets anyways, I might honestly become more like open to going to GCW shows when they're here. We'll see how the crowd is because I don't know. I don't know how I feel about GC- being in a room with fucking GCW fans. We'll see if that just completely turns me off from it. Um, but yeah, not going to head up to Defy to uh, <laughs> to check out uh, Shaft versus Moxley, unfortunately. Um, so, which, so where do you want to go now? Do you want to talk about the rest of the Indie Weekend? Or do you want to talk about PPP loans and Welfare Queens? Oh, let's, uh, let's definitely get into the, <laughs> the Welfare Queen on Glow, right? Jesus Christ. That that whole thing was a fucking nightmare, man. I mean, everyone involved sucked. You can just keep that in mind. But uh, God damn, what the hell, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> I think fucking I'd rather ins- talk about the other weekend. But feel free. Quentin, yeah, if you it's complete insanity. Yeah, it's so fucking stupid. Um, I guess... Well, what do you think? I I think start out with Uncharted Territory, kind of talk about that. Um, what do All you right. Think? Does that make sense? It's cool with me. Um, actually, did you get to see Garcia versus Punk on Rampage? Oh, I did. I did. I eventually ended up watching that, yeah. Yeah, so since Daniel Garcia is going to be, uh, I guess, the wrestler that we revolve this segment around. Sure. That was his first big match. Of his of his weekend, I'm pretty sure. Punk, Shell, Punk, Shelly, uh, Suzuki, and who else did he wrestle? Uh, oh, Davy, Davy. Yeah, Davy. First, my first match of his big of his big weekend, and wasn't my favorite. wasn't wasn't the best that he had that weekend, but it was really fun, and I liked it. I liked seeing Punk bust out the Anaconda Vice, yeah, and finish and, and finish Garcia with that. Uh, I really, really like 2.0 and Garcia as a trio. I love that. I love that opening video pa- uh, video segment on on Rampage with the interview when I'm going back and forth. I love 2.0 and Garcia as a team, and I hope they keep them together and hope they keep using 2.0 as mouthpieces for Garcia. That's a that's a really good pairing. 
but that was super fun did you watch that yeah yeah no that was great and they're they're definitely great together and i mean daniel garcia is showing his flexibility here similar like i think again this is like the stuff we've talked about a ton but i think that to a lazy eye you can watch the, the garcia match and be like he's boring and he just wrestles the same all the time but i mean this match is completely different than anything else he does over the weekend in the style that he wrestles, the character that he works. He's got the 2.0 around on the outside. You know what I mean? But everywhere else, he's not the underneath young boy. He's not having outside interference helping him win. You know, he's not being an asshole, cheating, all that stuff. So it's just like you can really see how he's able to work totally different characters. He's working on the back foot for most of this match, um, being definitely chicken shit heel. Like I said, he's got the outside interference. And, yeah, I just – I thought, again, maybe not – the best showing of the weekend, but definitely impressive to show flexibility and also to show that he's not like, I don't know this is a weird, this is a weird comparison, but I'll make it for the longest time in like the craft beer world. Uh, people would say like, Oh, you know, the big macro loggers and all that stuff. Like, yeah, they suck, but you know, you got to understand how tough it is to make that kind of beer and make it, you know, flawless all the time. And that's why, you know, you got to give respect to AB InBev and, and Coors and all that. Because they, they, they may not love that beer, but the, you know, the, we wouldn't be able to do it in the, in the, you know, the craft scene as well. And as, you know, remarkably. But then over the past couple of years, craft like lagers and basically macro style like German Pilsners and stuff have become more and more popular. And you've seen that that was all bullshit. Like that was all just like people like uh, not really seeing and giving a chance to smaller indie breweries and saying like oh they just couldn't pull off something like that and garcia is the same thing for years and years it's like oh the indie guys they just they couldn't be in front of big crowds on tv the crowds just won't get into them and garcia is here and the same motherfucker wrestling you know alex shelley in front of like what looks like 30 people is on national tv and he's going toe-to-toe with cm punk one of the biggest stars in all of wrestling in front of this giant crowd and uh he does not feel even slightly out of place and so, you know, the indies are not filled with a bunch of people who just couldn't cut it in the big leagues. You know, there's there's no reason why the indie guys have to spend, you know, six years in NXT learning how to look at cameras. They can they'll figure it out if you just put them out there, if they're good enough workers. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, like, a lot of the time with these with these people that aren't those big household names, yet, it also comes down to matter of opportunities. So. Yeah, you put Garcia out there and it looks like he belongs. And Garcia is might be a special case. Garcia has a level of poise and confidence that he works with. His facial expressions and the, and the emotion he conveys and the seriousness and his tone and his work makes him feel like a legit main event level guy. And he'll be that for years to come, hopefully. But if you give someone those same spots, like a Lee Moriarty, who has the talent, and if you give him someone that respects his ability and lets him go out there and work and be himself and guide him in the right direction... Yeah, for sure. And it's like, I think that that's one of the hopeful things that we have going for AEW and things that we want to see more of in the future is that it's not a waste to do Brian Danielson versus whatever young guy that isn't already a super established star. It's not a waste because once you put them in there with a Brian Danielson or with a CM Punk or with Kenny Omega or one of those guys, it's going to be like, oh, yeah, like they were on the indies and and they might not have been like the biggest star on the indies. But give them a chance, and that talent does shine through. Yeah, no, totally. Um, but yeah, Garcia is uh, 
Garcia, I guess, like you said, Garcia might be a special case, but at the same time, I mean, you already mentioned Lee Moriarty. There's, there's other, there's other cases. Um, uh, did you happen to watch the FTW title match on that show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that was um, Ricky Starks. That was fine. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was fine. It was. I mean, it's kind of impressive. I'll say that Cage is uh, boring enough to almost make a Ricky Starks match boring. But uh, yeah, that was a. Uh, that was something else. How is how insane is it that this guy who has known like some of the people that are the cores of AEW, how he's known them forever, and has still gotten to a like, like such a layup of a company for him. Yeah, and has still managed to just ruin his own stock. Ah, uh, I don't know, man. It's it's. I mean, he this just, company is such a fucking layup for you. Uh, I think he's just a small room wrestler, honestly. It's such a weird thing to say, but I just think that Cage is not built for a big company. He just doesn't work for a big company. He just doesn't work right. Because the guy's just never been good at like having emotion in his matches. So Not even that, but it's like, you know, this idea that like I should be doing this, I should, I should be doing that. Dude, like <laughs> you couldn't even be that guy in Lucha Underground. Like shut up. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and then all the shit that he talks on on social media and making it even worse. That's the other thing too is he's he's almost like his own worst enemy. Um, but yeah, uh, Uncharted. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So the pre-show match: Ken Broadway versus uh, Tyree Taylor. You watch that as well. Pretty pretty good, right? Like, um, I've always been high on Ken Broadway. I thought that there's a ton of potential I d- there. I don't know why Ken Broadway doesn't get the same opportunities that I've seen like Christian Casanova in Private Party get. That's all yeah. that's been weird to me. Yeah. And I've definitely heard people not be as high on him as me, but I thought that this was a really good showing for him and honestly like I think that toning down and the the like the look and maybe toning down the character to something more akin to this might be better for him. Um and that's that's a Tyree Taylor. I think Tyree Taylor every time I see him he does not disappoint. I I really thought that he was like a relatively new rookie from like the Limitless Dojo whatever because only over the past couple of years in Limitless has he started to stand out but he was a fucking uh, reality of wrestling guy who like got tr- started training in like 2016 and it just goes to show really okay how bad that that fucking Booker T goddamn fucking uh like cult promotion down there in Texas is if you think about it the only people who've really escaped are like uh, Kylie Ray um, and AQA, I guess now she's in NXT. I don't even know if she's is, on TV yet. Is that is that where, is that where Kylie came from? Uh, yeah, that was where she initially trained. Um, really, I did not know that. Yeah, that's where she started out, and uh, and she got out of there really quickly, and then went up to Chicago, and actually made a name for herself, right? Um, but yeah, so just kind of like okay, I don't know, uh, I don't know what the deal is there, but he takes off and he shows up in Limitless, and he's actually like really really impressive and as i said like even in the past couple of months he's improved a ton um but yeah this was a really really good match and i don't know why it was like you know pre-show pre-show match this should be a uh this should have been good enough to be on the main card i think yeah for sure i think that looking at what what, what the rest of what was on here and those are what gets more so like quote-unquote beyond guys but i looked at that and i look at what I think Ty- Tyree Taylor can do, and I look at his moves and the things he's strung together and his offense, and so like that, he seems like a guy that could definitely should be on un- un- should should be on un- Uncharted more regularly. And Ken Broadway, 
Yeah, I don't know why he doesn't get to do more. I'm not, I don't really understand that. Maybe we'll see him pop up, pop back up. I think both guys deserve chances there, but those are solid. I want to see both guys again. Yeah, right. I'm sure that we'll get some kind of uh, DMs now from someone explaining to us about how Ken Broadway has a bad attitude or something like that. You know what I mean? That always seems to be the case <laughs> with, with, with yeah. Um, so then the show proper starts to get Wheeler Yuta coming out here playing his heel gimmick and uh, open challenge gets called out by Layla Hirsch. Um, I what did you think of the pre-match segment and, and what did you think of the match itself? I like I like Wheeler as a heel. I like his smug smarminess and everything. I like I liked it to make Wheeler look strong going into the Untitled show and getting to the match itself. I thought this was I thought this was the best match of the weekend, honestly. Okay. Yeah. I uh... yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I think this is the best match of the weekend. Um. Garcia versus Shelly on the same show was like right at the same level, but if you had to ask me, like I probably prefer Wheeler versus Layla Hirsch just a tiny bit more. Um, yeah, I can't say that I disagree. I hadn't really thought about it, but hmm, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that stands out to me as being better. Um, it's the, it's the it's the Shelly it's the Shelly matches if you want to like really compare right and the Shelly Garcia match is not amazing um and then the Shelly Yuta match is I would say not even as good um I, I didn't think I, I didn't I didn't think Wheeler versus Shelly was as good as it could have been yeah yeah I'm trying to think if there's anything else that maybe stood out um, it's it's Wheeler versus Layla man. <laughs> Royal and O'Shea Edwards, not really. Eh. Yeah, I think you're right. Unless you're, unless you're real, unless you're real into Davies matches. Ah, none of Davies matches really stood out to me as being very good. Um, Garcia versus Suzuki was good, but it wasn't amazing. It wasn't as good as this. Yeah, this was the best match of the weekend. You're right about that one. Layla fucking rocked in this match. Like she was so fucking good, dude. <sighs> I hate mentioning other podcasts on here, but it just reminds me of, like, some, I don't know whether it was like one of the TV reviews, one of the flagships, but it's like, listening to, like, Joe on VOW talk about Layla Hirsch, and I'm like, what the fuck are you watching as to where you don't think Layla Hirsch is a good wrestler? Yeah, it's crazy. What, like, what the fuck are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, not. Like, I don't, like, it was, like, I don't know how you could watch Layla Hirsch here versus, versus, versus Wheeler. And look at some of the shit she did, and not be like, okay, yeah, like she might not have like the look that's condu- that's probably conducive to becoming a traditional star in American wrestling television. She's not a great promo and all that kind of stuff. But if we're just talking about a worker that should be pushed, that should get signed, that should get chances when it comes to AEW, when the tournament and everything there, there's if you want to argue that Deeb is better than her, sure. Like I'll probably concede that. Other than that, I mean, you're not. You can't tell me that all these that this many people are better than Hirsch. Like, okay, arguing that Deeb is better than her is like, she, she better be. She's had 15 years to get better than her. Yeah, like, like okay, cool. Layla Hirsch has been wrestling for what two years? <laughs> yeah, like I'm sorry, but th- no, like that does not. That's not like a huge argument. Like, okay, fine, maybe. Even then, still, I wouldn't say it's like insanely like. Uh, you know knockout for sure but like yeah what very weird very uh 
it's very weird for anyone to to disagree with how good Lele is and like the fact that she's not like just a boring you know grapple fuck wrestler or whatever like she does a bunch of high spots she does does a bunch of cool moves like there's no Dude, reason her move that that like th- she does like a triple jump moonsault that shit's ridiculous yeah. <laughs> she does that she does a um like a fucking tilt like tilt a world top rope german suplex that's fucking nutty off the top rope like she does <laughs> The, she does like the Devlin side better than Devlin ever did it. That fucking that weirdo who felt the need to tweet about like the the cage match ratings for his fake TV show. Um, you know, you know, you know, um, and this is thing we talked about before. Like, I know that Joe is like a notable like not intergender wrestling guy. He talks about that like Layla can do like Layla can do certain stuff, and sometimes he's not always able to do that stuff with other women. Sure, but like. That, that probably feels like what it is. It's like okay, like you, have, but you haven't seen like Layla versus like people that like are better than what she gets to work with on a regular basis. Right. No, it's true. It just it fucking sucks because I know I know plenty of people who who are you know just as knowledgeable who have been watching wrestling for just as long and who don't get like stuck in these weird like old old ways of thinking um it just sucks that the people who for some reason the people who get to the top and become like the most popular names are these ones who like turn into these old foley fucking grandpas who like can't just like accept that they need to move like Meltzer and lanza both like i'm just like you guys are so fucking out of it and so old and just so beyond it and then, like I said, I know it's not just like, oh, because they're actually old and, oh, you know, maybe they deserve to be the most popular because they know the most. Because they don't know the most. They haven't watched the most stuff. And they aren't, like, you know, the oldest, longest fans or whatever. Like, there's no reason for them to be the most popular. And then their fucking taste is so out of date that it's just, like, like fucking... It does a disservice, really, that there's so many people who pay attention to that stuff and take it seriously. Um, because yeah, like the idea that you write off intergender wrestling at this point is you're basically missing like, I don't know, 30% of wrestling, I would say, right? Like some of the best wrestling that happens every year, especially on the U S Indies is intergender in some way like this match. No, but like, I, I remember the, the one time, like the one intergender was like real heated. One of the things he was like, was like, I have a girlfriend that was a, that was a victim of domestic violence. And I'm like. My, my man. Yeah. This is like a fake scripted thing where two people are in agreement to go wrestle each other and they are presented as equals. As... And that they can... Oh, sorry. Like, I, like, like my man, like, what, like, what are we doing? Well, I mean, does Joe Lanza not like The Sopranos? Because there's domestic violence in that fucking show all over it. I'm not, look, man, I'm just saying. No, I know, like, I know that you're not the Joe Lanza defender or whatever, but that's such a. On top of the fact that you have to be like, I know a domestic violence survivor, and like that's your. I'm like, okay, I was a domestic violence abuse victim myself. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I can watch intergender. It's not, you know, it's not how it works. It's it's not the it's not the same thing. Yeah. Uh, everyone's got their own thing i understand that but again it's kind of sad when you think that someone might be to use a really loaded term concern trolling and using something like that as like cover for their own personal opinion that they just don't like something 
um, which is fine. You can not like something, but again, it just it's a bummer when you're shutting off such a large portion of really good wrestling because of your own personal taste, and you're also like a respected voice in wrestling, um, because you just end up like doing a disservice to a lot of people. The good, I mean, I'm gonna say a good thing about voices of wrestling is that they have other voices, and they allow other people on their website and on their podcast network to say and review and talk about different things. And Meltzer doesn't really do that. And that's always been kind of, to me, the shittiest thing about Meltzer as he's grown to be bigger and bigger, that he still is just singularly his own voice primarily. Um, not, not even, not even just like his own voice, but like the people that are on the observer, like it's not really like, I don't like, there is like a whole big quote unquote, like diversity thing because like, you know, there's, only so much that like that actually fixes or helps sure but yeah like if you go look at the observer it's like you know (laughs) it is what it is no yeah of course i mean you've got adam and mike and they at least always kind of like were pretty contentious with dave and uh went out of their way to to kind of counter his bad takes when it came to japanese wrestling but that was about it you know and they really don't pay attention to anything else but yeah it's just I've, I, I shouldn't even be getting into this, but the past couple episodes that I've listened to of, like, Observer have been infuriating. Not even just, like, the bad stuff, but the, like, that they do mailbag questions and then Dave just doesn't answer the question. In the end of it, he forgets what the question was and just starts talking about something else. And, like, whatever, that's fine. But he's got a co-host who's asking him the questions and the co-host doesn't follow up with him and be like, hey, you didn't actually answer the question. And that just shows how fucking pointless it is and how checked out everyone is there because they're like, they're not even going out of their way because they know that there's no reason to even listen to what Dave says or try to push back on him because he won't uh, listen to anybody else. So they just like, whatever, say whatever, and then that's it. So then it makes you just question basically everything because clearly like everyone around him just lets him say whatever he wants and they don't uh, really argue with him at all. Yeah, I think that's like, but like, you know, Obviously, these things aren't perfect, but sure. ma- main thing is Layla Hirsch is really, really good, and I wish people uh, gave her more credit for how good she actually yes. is. And hopefully, she's so young; she's like twenty-four. Like, and that uh, she could like get even better, and she will get even better, and she should be one of the building blocks for AEW's w- women's yes. division going forward. But I thought this was the best match on best match of the weekend. Yeah, I think you're correct on that. Follow up uh, intergender tag match that uh, I think was really, really good, but. You know, I think honestly would have been better if it was just a singles match between Matt Mikowski and Janai Kai. Um, I can't remember who, but someone when the when the the replacement got announced said that it was a, a major downgrade or downgrade or whatever. And I I honestly thought that that was kind of a crazy like initial just take to have um, to just be like, oh, you know, Yokai being replacements for Killer Kelly and uh, um, oh God damn it, Alexander. Why can't I remember his full name? James? No, what the fuck is his name? The Prince of Pro. Type. Um, um, Alexander James. Alexander James, that's it. I remember Alexander, but I couldn't remember. Um, because I don't know that I would say Yokai is definitely a downgrade from Killer Kelly and Alexander James. Like, I, I don't know. Like, you know, like, are they really like a major downgrade from them? Not really. Um, and that's, especially for what they're gonna get to do. Like, it's like if you were gonna give them like a prominent spot, then like maybe. But this is gonna like a undercard tag. It wasn't gonna mean anything anyway. Right. So, yeah, I was just like, it's crazy to me to say that it's a major downgrade. And as I said, Matt Mikowski and uh, Janai Kai were awesome together. I would love to see them have, like, a nice, solid singles match talking about intergender stuff. Um, 
Masha Slamovich and, and Janai Kai, just to me, they do not have chemistry in the ring together like you would hope for. And I've seen them wrestle a ton at this point. Um, like, especially in shoot the shoot style promotion, had them like wrestle twice for like the championship or whatever. I watched both of those matches, some stuff in Camp Leak Prague. And like, I just, they just don't have like really great chemistry with each other for how much they've wrestled each other. So I just find that very interesting. Um, and Yoya, I don't know, Yoya was, he's been fine in other places, but he was just whatever here. Um, match was fine, but, uh, yeah, Matt Mikowski looked really good. Masha, I'm, I don't know, I'm like, I'm hot and cold on Masha Slamovich. At times I think that she could be great, and at other times I just, just don't get her stuff. Um, yeah, but, uh, that's probably more about this match than needed to be said. Uh, yeah, so like, for, like, full disclosure, I only saw... Um, the Wheeler title defense, Manders, Dickinson, and Shelly versus Garcia. That's all I saw from okay, this. Okay, okay. That's fine. I, uh, yeah, I didn't really watch VSK versus Little Mean Kathleen. Um, VSK, hit or miss, whatever. Um, the trios match I was, like, interested in. I like the Kings of the District. I like Trisha Dora, but the Gakam Zingana, or Zam- whatever his name is, uh, none of his... None of his stuff has ever been really... I've never been really into it. Um, and, uh, yeah, the uh, the main event match, I'm like, I don't know. This main event... I, I hate to say this, but, like, when Pizza Party did the main event versus the main event thing, like, at the end of that match, I was more excited about the other main event. Um, and this is the main event that gets fucking booked everywhere, and I never understand why nobody books that other team. Um... But uh, either way, whatever. Uh, Dickinson versus Manders. Feel free. Give me your thoughts. Um, I want to like Manders more, but he feels like he hasn't improved at all since 2019. Am I wrong to say that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that he's regressed, but uh, yeah, he, he has not improved at all. Better, but but here's the question: Even with that, was he not better than Dickinson in this match? I would say Dickinson was better, but it wasn't like by okay. much. If Dickinson was better, because uh, like Dickinson's pushed like a top top guy, and to me, I liked Manders better in this match. Sure, I think Dickinson also works to like the level of his opponent a lot of the time. I think that's been pretty clear with like the level of names he's been getting lately. I think he works to the level of an opponent. That's fair. Um, he used to never be that kind of guy, though. He used to always be a hundred and ten percent every match kind of guy. Yeah, but, like, me and you have seen enough Dickinson. Like, this is clearly what he's been doing at this point, right? He's yeah, a yeah. work at the level of the comp, right? comp guy. That's true. And I think that he doesn't really view Manders as someone to bring that level for. He's going to come out there and play the hits and do what he's supposed to do. And they're going to have a big, beefy guy hitting each other in the chest kind of match. And it just didn't really do anything for anybody i can't really say manders stood out much in it and i think that's usually the goal for something like this if you're gonna have dickinson facing somebody you'd usually want them to get something out of it because dickinson is the face of beyond's history if you want if you want to say that so i would think that a prominent singles match for a guy against against chris dickinson on beyond season premiere which would be a big would be a bigger deal and come across like a bigger deal, but like it just doesn't, and a lot of it feels like Manders just hasn't gotten better anywhere that I've seen him at. Yeah, that's pretty fair. That's uh, yeah, I, I don't know, you know, 
and he I, feel- and, I, and I want him to be and, and I want him to be good. Like everyone came on here, everyone that was watching the southeastern southern wrestling scene when they everyone saw Manders, they're like, oh shit, Manders is good, and like everyone was happy when Manders started getting booked in other places pretty soon, and he just hasn't been that good. Yeah. Well, what was I'm trying to remember that big the 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 um. The SCI trios match that was on like the Futures show that everyone went crazy for that Manders was in, um, and uh, it was like him and and Kane, or who was it? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, Manders, Gnarls, Garvin, and Zachary Cooper, and everyone went fucking crazy for that match live in the building, um, and. Uh, he's just not lived up to that right he's just never like brought that that intensity that that was i guess like kind of what built a lot of his buzz and he does feel kind of like a bubble guy um in that like he's kind of mid-level everywhere and not really a standout anywhere and that's kind of how a lot of people are getting growing and getting better and better is getting like you, you can work all over the place, but you got to have like a kind of a home promotion where you're doing your best work and you're getting like a major push and just no one, no one's really presenting him as a, a top guy and no one's giving him the big opportunities there. Um, and that could be for whatever reasons, but uh, he's, yeah, he's just not, he's, like you said, he's not had a chance to grow because he's just kind of at that mid level everywhere. And that's kind of been his thing. He just mid level and then but works everywhere doing like the same exact thing over and over again. Um, and it's like, okay, that's fine, but you're kind of plateauing and you're not, you know, getting a chance to do anything different. And it's also like, I mean, what the fuck is Manders? Like, really, if you like had to describe what the character of Manders is to someone, it's like, I don't know, football cowboy that hits people. Like, that's about it. Yeah, football, football cowboy that hits hard. And it's like, all right, cool, but then, like, you don't really stand out in the hitting people department either. <laughs> yeah, and there's nothing There's no. There's nothing to really get it, buy into. There's no stories. There's no history with him. Manders says he's done very little other than just that. And it's like, okay, well, you know, not everybody has to be over-the-top character-wise, but, I mean, even someone, again, like Garcia, who you, people could say is boring or whatever, like, I've, I've seen a ton of Garcia, and I get him as a person you know and i i understand what he's going for with his matches and his promos and everything and it's like okay there's like a lot more there and manders i just there's not really much there so basically hit hard guy and he's not the top hit hard guy um and that's it so whatever i mean it would be cool if he could start to live up to the potential that people thought were there at some point but he may never he may never like do that and that's fine i guess but yeah it's like i don't know he's like a photocopy of a photocopy of JD Drake or something at this point. Like it's just, it's not, it's not there. <laughs> uh, let's talk about good wrestling. Let's talk about Alex Shelley versus Daniel Garcia. Hell yes, dude, this fucking rocked. I would say this is Alex Shelley's best match of the weekend. Um, oh yeah, for sure. This is way better than the Willer you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shelley. I mean, Shelley selling his ass off. Garcia just annihilating the leg. Um, Best legwork match of the weekend you, too, compared to uh, Davy. Did you know what I? We, you know, Go ahead. You know what I realized? I realized like my favorite thing about Daniel Garcia is his facial expressions. Yes. And there's a lot of things I like about him, but that's something I didn't realize was my thing about Garcia. I'm like, oh shit! Like 
his facial expressions are just top fucking notch, man. Everything from like, if you look at his face while he does certain holds or when he's backing off in the corner or whatever, everything about his facial expression is just fucking perfect. And it adds so much more to everything that he does, which he already does on a high level. Everything that he does has purpose, has meaning to it. It looks like he's putting effort into it. And it's all capped off by the fact that his facial expressions really sell every motion, every action, everything that he's doing. It's all sell it's all sold by how good his facial expressions are. Yeah, no. And it's interesting because um one thing that jumped out to me was yeah, the facial expressions and the and the vocality of him, vocalization that he brings to his matches. Um, I assumed, you know, from him being, him being from the Northeast, um, that he was like one of those Biff kids or, you know, at least did like the Biff training school. Cause I see the Biff Busick inspiration in a lot of that stuff from him. Um, but you know, I haven't gotten any confirmation that he trained with Biff at all, but, uh, you know, he did train, you know, grapplers anonymous with, um, Brandon Thurston and that whole crew. But yeah, I just, there is, like you said, the selling, the the facials, and like I said, the grunting and the noise. It reminds me a lot of Biff. That was like a thing that always made him stand out on how why he was so fucking good. The technical wrestling is there. Um, Garcia doesn't have that physicality that Biff did, but very few wrestlers do. He still can bring it with some big strikes and, and some of that stuff, but it just doesn't stand out the same way. But again, the technical wrestling ability and the game and the and the the mastermind the way that he focuses and the way that he tells the story of being like a you know pinpoint assassin when it comes to the legwork especially like in this match is so phenomenal but again it's another one of these guys look at this this fucking cage match review of daniel garcia decent wrestler but a complete zero in other departments can't talk no charisma no personality what the fuck are you watching what are you watching <laughs> this guy cuts fucking phenomenal promos tons of charisma he major he does exactly what he he does exactly what he should be doing like okay okay in the ring subpar look terrible promo ability abysmal character work (laughs) i legit don't know why this guy has a spotlight on him he may improve in the future but for right now he shouldn't be anything more than a jobber to be honest (laughs) it's fucking insane wait wait hold on wait, wait hold on hold on hold on perhaps one of the more inexplicable rising stars of wrestling in the last year into a confounding degree despite his supposed mma background and gimmick Garcia's rarely proven to be on the same level as many of his fellow technical wrestlers, such as Dominic Guarini and Matt Mikowski. Somehow that's led him, led him on to AEW TV, where he's been given one of the more aggressive pushes in recent years. Should the high-pressure scenario encourage his skills and character work to develop, perhaps he would be a worthy acquisition. But thus far, it seems like a larger case of too much too soon. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> okay, what the fuck are you talking about, number one? Number two, these people get so fucking confused because they have no concept of anything. He's never once pretended to be an MMA-inspired wrestler. It's fucking grappling. He's a catch wrestler. He does professional wrestling. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting there, like, racking my brain. I'm like, I don't think I've ever heard Garcia or heard it put over. Like, yeah, he's, like, has a... Like they they might have he might they might have mentioned him taking like a ju- like a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu class a couple of times, <laughs> but like is he pre- is he presented like he's Matt Mikowski or Dominic Greeny? No, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> he's never once been presented as an MMA inspired like hybrid fighter or anything like that at all. It's not part of his gimmick, so it's just it's very funny to even put that on him like that's his his thing and he doesn't compare to them in that style. It's like people have no fucking concept of like. You know, grappling, technical wrestling, catches catch can wrestling. That's like, that's not a thing anymore. So it's either you're 
a pro wrestler who all you do is high spots, punch, kick, and or you're an MMA guy, and that's the only options. Whatever though, these this again these these people, it's it's fucking insane to see these takes because you're just like, like you mentioned, the reason why Daniel Garcia is great is because of his personality, his selling, and his facials, his charisma. That's the stuff that's really good about him. And that's always if the he case. Didn't, if, if, he, if he didn't have that, he would still be in the Northeast scene, like, working, like, the middle, like, middle of the card on Uncharted Territory, if he didn't have that. Like, clearly he has big personality, and that's why he's getting these kind of looks. <laughs> right, and it's why, you know, we're, we're big fans of his. And that's, again, it repeatedly just keeps happening over and over again. These, these wrestlers who are, like, so fucking good... And the reason why they're so good is because of that. It's like, you know, good wrestler is one of the, you know, biggest gimmicks in the history of wrestling, right? Like there's every, you know, every so often someone just knocks it out of the park with like their gimmick is that they're they're the wrestler who's good at wrestling. But like most of the time that guy is actually just really good at all the other stuff. And they're not really like any that much extra good at like, you know, actual technical wrestling. Every now and then there's a few guys who actually are, but a lot of them, like, end up doing, like, shoot fighting and stuff like that rather than just staying in wrestling. But it's just always so funny to me. I'm just like, Daniel Garcia is really great at selling and facials and all that stuff. He's not really, like, this amazing grappler. He's just a great storyteller and continues to be a really, really good storyteller. So, yeah, this is, uh, hopefully in AEW they give him some chances to have some bigger matches because at this point he's really working shorter matches. Um... And oh, 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 the punk, the punk match went like fourteen minutes. That's true. It was pretty long, but uh, and it was a pretty big time showing for him. So hopefully they move forward. They continue to let him have some more, uh, some more big time matches. But I just don't. It's so weird. It's so weird to see someone who their take is like Dominic Guarini is better than him. Because I'm just like, okay, that's fine. But then that's weird because if you like Dominic Guarini, I don't understand why you don't like Daniel Garcia. Yeah, no, like if you like Dominic Guarini, everything that you're saying about. Like the quote unquote lack of confidence, like literally, like a lack of charisma would like literally apply tenfold to Dom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why I'm like, okay, well, if you like Dom and you like his style, then like I would think you would like Garcia, but I don't know. Whatever. Everyone's got their own thing. Either, either, either way, this match, this match, this match was really good. I like the dynamic of Shelly um, really antagonizing Garcia. We usually see Garcia being the one being the one doing the antagonizing, especially when he uh as he's turned heel in the last year or so. But like, seeing Shelly kiss him on the forehead as they're tangled up in the ropes and everything and like I think he spanked him in the lower back or hit him in the lower back. Commentary uh I guess from their vantage point look uh said that Shelly smacked uh smacked him on his ass before he put him in this uh in this surfboard stretch. So I, I like the antagonizing that Shelly did to Garcia and it really adds more weight to Garcia's control segment and Garcia's work on, on Shelly's leg. And Shelly's one of the best wrestlers in the world. And he sold really, really greatly something that I wish got explored more in his other match on the weekend. But this match here, this was really, this is really great. Like I said, neck and neck with Wheeler versus Layla Hirsch. I probably give them the same rating. I probably have them at, at probably have them both at four stars, but slightly prefer Wheeler versus Layla. But again, this is really really great. Yeah, no, this is phenomenal. Um, again, two two of the best wrestlers in the world, at least especially on the indies in in the U.S. right now, going at it and just clicking. Two guys who've never wrestled each other before, never interacted before, but just really hitting it. 
and coming out there and giving you exactly the match you want between the two of them. And Garcia being the setup man, basically for for Shelley here was perfect to then build him up into the the title match. Um, what did you watch from uh, West Coast Pro Wrestling No Leaf Clover? I watched Suzuki versus Garcia, and I watched Davey versus AJ Gray. Okay. Oh, I saw the I saw the I saw the opener too. The six man tag. Okay. Six man tag was in was pretty good. Uh, Fredericks and Yamora yeah. were decent. Juicy. It's interesting to see Juicy Fanu now like off of GCW actually kind of being treated like a little bit more of a star in other promotions that were not really booking him before. Um, Blackwood. Eh, I wish that there was like if you're gonna have Blackwood on the card, do something with him. Um, he moved out here to LA like a, a couple months ago at this point, and I still have not gotten to see him anywhere, which is such a bummer because I'm a big fan of his. Um, but uh, but yeah, decent opening, you know, trios match, but nothing great. Um, otherwise, the only other thing I'd mention, uh, oh, I guess we talk about AJ Gray, Davy Richards. Um, I mean, I mean, actually, let's get let's get out the get that out of the way. Let's wait on that. Let's get Garcia versus. Suzuki out of the way because I feel like we like there's honestly probably less to say about that because like this that's a fun novelty match it was a cool to see them go out there and hit each other and everything but like what do you really have to say about Garcia versus Suzuki is about as good as you would have expected um I would the only thing I would say is just to see again talk about the poise of Garcia he didn't um he didn't just let Suzuki eat him up like other people have on the indies and in the past um you know, he definitely got more from Suzuki than, like, Jeff Cobb, right? <laughs> Famously. Oh, God, yeah, that was fucking brutal. You know, and there's people like that. So, again, just talk about that That uh, Garcia is able to deliver, even in these big situations and these big spots, going up against legends on, you know, on major television, all that kind of stuff. So, that's really the biggest takeaway there is just, again, I mean, it's really easy. Garcia is so fucking good that it's really easy to forget that, you know, he has not been wrestling, like, five years probably less than that he's yeah four years um so yeah it, the guy wrestles like he's been going at it for a long fucking time he's 23 yeah he's just <laughs> he's just a fucking baby and he's barely just started wrestling and he's already this good it's like it's really easy to to overlook but garcia could be in this conversation for one of those you know great great rookie kind of conversations like who is this good this fast and there's there's a very few amount of people who have been able to pull it off as well as he has so quickly um and now he's actually getting the shots to show that off and prove it so yeah that's like that's the main thing um well i guess the other one i was just going to talk about was uh charlie starboy charlie and uh titus alexander son of a big big ugly uh, the famously Daniel or uh, Daniel Makabe's recent opponent that we talked about, Timothy Thatcher's former opponent, um, and his son taking on Starboy Charlie. One thing I'll say, I mean, it's easy for people to shit on Starboy Charlie, and it, you know, he hasn't had amazing performances like say in GCW, but the kid is like 18 years old. He's really, to me, starting barely even starting to develop. He's already been wrestling for longer than Daniel Garcia. He's been wrestling for like six years already um, at barely 18. He's just barely starting to physically fill out and develop. And I just, I've seen him in the right situations be able to pull off some stuff and have something there to where I just, I don't, I'm not ready to write him off. And I, man, it's easy for me to say, right, from coming on West Coast guy, pulling for a West Coast kid, but... I think that Starboy 
he might end up being one of these guys who just grinds it out and ends up being, you know, like under 20, but like this veteran. And you look at people like Noam Dar, Zack Sabre Jr., those guys who maybe weren't the best instantly, but they, you know, they wrestle for like 15 years by the time they're like fucking 22. And then they're just phenomenal. And I just, I'm not going to write off Starboy Charlie. He keeps grinding at it. And I just, I think that he might have a chance. Hopefully he doesn't just get fucked up and wrestle a ton of GCW bullshit and then disappear into obscurity because they just make him do all this dumbass shit forever. But uh, yeah, outside of GCW, he's uh, he's he's still got a chance to be possibly be good here uh, eventually. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, no, I'm with I'm with you. I think it's uh, Starboy Charlie's gotten to do a lot in GCW that maybe he wasn't exactly like super ready for but like at times in what i've seen in gcw from him he's had stuff that's been borderline great so yeah like that the dude is young and is very clearly talented like same thing i'll probably i'll say about like uh kind of like utami um Shishida, like later it's like they might he might not be ready for the spots that he's being given currently but it doesn't mean that he's not like talented or couldn't eventually get there. Yeah, you just hope that again. You hope that it turns out that he's one of these people who sticks with it and guts it through, and then eventually starts to get the opportunities when he's ready for them, instead of just slowly fading away and never getting the opportunities again. Um, AJ versus Davy. This, I mean, yeah, you you have a lot to say here. This was fucking. I don't know. I hate to say this, but this was fucking brutal for my opinion of, of AJ Gray. I mean, I think did you mentioned maybe that this was like the same match as Garcia, but I would say it was like the same match as the Garcia Davy match, but in reverse in that, like Davy just eats this motherfucker up. And like the Garcia match, I felt like Garcia was in control for most of the match. Um, okay. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you like, I think the issue with this match is when you add in the context of this is supposed to be AJ Gray's first defense. Yes. And when you add that in, honestly, I was liking this a lot at first, to be honest with you. I really did like this a lot. I like the structure because you don't really get to see AJ be this vulnerable very often. And I thought this was actually like a one of the better Davey performances I had seen other than the Yehi match so far. I think the issue is that when you have a match like this where it's so dominant in one person's favor, especially when this other person that he's facing is the champion, that you want the per- you want the finish to be a little bit stronger than a banana peel caught him caught him by the skin of his teeth kind of victory. AJ Gray should have powered through and then brainbustered and larried that motherfucker's head off and looked like a big strong champion coming out of that, but but he doesn't. And I really didn't have a problem with it. I was prepared to come on here and be like, you're crazy. This match was really good. If they did that, if AJ looks stronger in the finish. But that finish completely ruins it. It's like some, like, Pete Dunne El Fantasmo shit. <laughs> you know, yeah. like... Like me, like me, and you were gonna were gonna know that reference because we watched that <laughs> match and we had that we had that talk. But like when Pete Dunne was coming back and was doing the time in WWE and coming back and working like these Rev Pro cockpit shows and he'd just like beat the living shit out of LP and LP didn't get anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, like this is what it felt like. And yeah, AJ still gets the win, so it's not quite the quite at that quite at that level. But again, in, in this scenario, you would you would want AJ to have a 
stronger finish than that. Yeah. And part of it, too, is Davey's just not as crisp as he was in the past. So he's trying to do a bunch of, like, different legwork stuff, and none of it looks as that good as it has in the past. Everything, everything is just a little bit off and a little bit sloppy. And it sucks because some of it hurts AJ and just makes him look like he's not at that level to be like in there with Davey and it's you know it's partially Davey I just I think that if Davey wanted to do this he needs to be out here doing bombs he's trying to do like not slow but more methodical legwork stuff and it's just okay yeah like it turns into like torture porn of Davey just like fucking wrecking this guy and the the Garcia the difference you talked about like Garcia being hometown guy Dave like AJ's the champion here but this is not his hometown this is a fucking Northern California and AJ is like from the South and he might be the champion there. And this is his first defense. He's not like a, he's not like a guy here. He's not someone that everyone here is like behind to the point where they're going to like, you know, get into him, get into this, the crowd as AJ's fucking dying in the figure four and building to work up to get the, to do the flip over on the figure four. The crowd is like fucking chit chatting with each other. No, they're talking and shooting the shit. They're not engaged in the match. They don't give a fuck about AJ. And that's just, again, it's like what I said, this hurts. This really hurts AJ gray from his stock for me in a lot and a lot. And that's coming from like the idea that, you know, 2020, 2019 going into 2020, I was saying AJ gray wrestler of the year, right? That was the conversation point that I was at where I was like, this guy is fucking phenomenal. His aura, his presence, the shit that he's doing is great. And this is just, this is hurting that kind of, that level of aura for me for AJ because I'm coming out of it and I'm just like, man, you're getting wrecked and the crowd is not into you and you're coming across like you're just a little bit sloppy and not able to like really be crisp with Davey Richards the way that he has been in the past, all that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, and what the fuck was the moonsault? Like the moonsault looked like shit and like with the bad leg, supposedly you got the bad leg so you flip the moonsault so that you land on your feet that doesn't make any fucking sense with the story that you're telling especially it's a moonsault why would he land on his feet on a moonsault like i'm sorry but the shit just really fucked me up i was just repeatedly and then as you said the finish was so fucking bullshit like i you know i mean whatever it's not bullshit but like the fact that after all that AJ can't even get like a clean win he's got to get like a fucking sneaky roll up kind of thing that look again looked awkward cuz AJ's not that kind of wrestler. AJ doesn't need to be and, doing and this. Pro- and, and, Go ahead. And they're and they're probably not in like that match probably won't get ran back I don't think. No, <laughs> like, of course not. But AJ again like AJ needs to hit the big fucking lariat and get the pin. I mean what the fuck that roll up is so weird looking for him. Especially because he's so much, he's bigger, he's smaller. He's bigger than Davey. (laughs) God damn it, man. Like, it just, it pisses me off. Like, I love Davey, but like, fuck, dude. Like, this is so stupid and it just really hurt AJ. And now you come out of this and AJ's still your fucking champion. Yeah. Whatever. Like, this was super fucking frustrating for me. And and whatever, like, it's Davey. That's what you're going to get from him now, I guess. But I don't know. I don't know. Also, did you notice that uh, AJ Gray's or yeah, AJ Gray's tights had truth on the side, but it's in ROH font? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just another thing where I'm just like, come on, man. Like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Like, why are you so into ROH? Why are you letting Davey do this to you? With all the shit that this guy talks and the way that AJ fucking Gray acts and he's the truth and he's, you know, takes no shit on social media and he's such a fucking tough guy and he calls everybody out and, you know... 
I won't, you know, name any names, but the things that I've heard about him being a fucking prick backstage, you know, like, and then he's going to take this from Davey Richards and, you know, like it, enjoy it, like be belittled and made. And, 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 and then compare that to like Daniel Garcia and like how Daniel Garcia is interacting with Davey and has two matches with him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's my point. So when you said that it's the same match, I'm like, damn, I don't know, man. I don't, I really don't see it as the same match because one match seemed like almost equals close enough. It, w- it was the same exact finish, dude. It was like, the same like finish, the same exact yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, Like, same kind of story, same legwork, and, the, and then the exact same finish. Right, but the legwork was reversed. The legwork was on Davey. This legwork was on AJ. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, guess I guess right. I get what you're saying. It's like the same match. It was set up the same way, but it almost makes more sense to have Davey get caught with a roll-up like that after his leg has been worked, as opposed to, like, mm-hmm. he was the one doing the legwork. At least then you can kind of buy into like the, the the flukiness of it, or at least you can give him a little bit more credit, right? Because it's like it wasn't a fluke. He was working over his leg intentionally because he wanted to do, he wanted to be able to catch him with a roll up where he was holding the legs. But whatever. All right. Okay. <laughs> Let's leave West Coast Pro Wrestling. Please. Back to uh, where are we going? Uh, untitled. Untitled. Yeah. Okay, um, I watched O'Shea versus Eric Royal, and I watched the main event. Okay. You didn't watch Alex Price versus Rip Bison, the opening match? I did not. Okay. Did you ask anyone if they liked (laughs) Alex Price, or they don't understand why anyone would like uh, Alex Price or whatever? Did you see that? Okay, I'll be be honest with you. Listen, listen. I honestly didn't hate his promo after when he came out after Dickinson beat Manders. I didn't hate it. Yeah, I, I have actually, not seen this man wrestle. I'm kind so. of excited for Alec Price and Becca to be a unit in Beyond because they're not a unit in in Limitless, but they're probably the two best heels um, that they have in Limitless. But also part of the reason why they both work as heels is because they're not like uh, really over the top heels. They're kind of like tweener. They're like heel-leaning tweeners. So I'm actually kind of excited for them as a unit and beyond. Um, but yeah, either way. Um, I like Alec Price. I think he's got a lot of potential. Um, if you want to see something that is why, um, I ha- I like him. It's not this Rip Bison match because Rip Bison is like very okay. He's like extremely okay. Um, check out Alex Price versus Kevin Koo. And I know it's Kevin Koo who's like, you know, shortlist wrestler of the year for me this year. But Alec Price held his own in his match with Kevin Koo. So check that out if you want to see good Alec Price. Um, so yeah, Eric Royal, O'Shea Edwards. Uh, just, I mean, I guess I'll let you talk about it. But, you know, different venue. Not a place that these two normally wrestle. Not a place that these two normally would wrestle each oh, other. Let's talk. This venue fucking sucked. Yeah. I don't know why for unsub for untitled they like were in this venue and like had such a small capacity or a small crowd that was this fucking that was terrible for this. Well, this is the H two O school, you know, and H two O runs their shows there. So you have to keep in mind that like H two O is a deathmatch federation that's built about Matt Matt Tremont. Um, so the, even if even with the small crowd here, you probably have a crowd here of people that are not necessarily this is not necessarily their wrestling. You know, so there is something to that. But yeah, this the venue kind of stank. The crowd was pretty dead. But uh, these guys came out here and they and they really knocked it out of the park, I thought, as far as I was concerned. And wouldn't expect anything less from Eric Royal. I mean, 
no matter what the setting is, no matter what crowd he's in front of, I think that Eric Royal, he was not able to get the crowd, you know, as heated as he can in some places, but he definitely still worked his ass off and had a, a phenomenal showing here. I love, I love him in a situation like this, especially where he's, he's going over the top with the heel antics. Um, I kind of have not, not a huge fan of when Eric Royal is being like more of a baby face or being a tweener. I think he's best as a heel. Um, and especially he's best with a heel when he feels like he's really working to get the crowd into the match. Uh, didn't necessarily like work. I wouldn't say by the end of the match that he really got the crowd into it, but you know, sometimes you can't, sometimes it's just, it's, there's no winning with with a crowd like this, but what did you think of the match? Um, this, this is fine. I feel like, I guess for, especially for Eric and O'Shea that I think guys that need that level of, like level of investment, it's a good match. It's like fundamentally sound they do exactly what you want these two strong dudes to go out there and be doing throwing each other around making it look easy these feats of strength and really getting over how strong both of these guys are but in this setting in this environment it's not giving them what they need in order to make this match as good as it can be and yeah this isn't the main event and you don't want something necessarily on this this out to outshine Wheeler versus Shelley and how big of an occasion that that is, but it feels like that match wasn't wasn't really put in the right situation and scenario for, to succeed. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, tough situation, like like we've both have said, tough crowd overall. Actually, probably should have checked in with maybe some anyone who would have known what the fucking deal was here with this crowd because with the show in general because it was just very off. Um, I know you didn't watch it, but the match after this, I just want to mention um, Candy or Kennedy Copeland versus Megan uh, Baines or Bynes or whatever. Um, Megan Bynes really stood out to me. I've okay. never seen her before. Don't know where she regularly wrestles, but great poise, great physicality, super like good with her her the character that she's playing. I guess she's an ECWA wrestler primarily um looks like she's had a couple AEW shots on dark that i don't remember but uh but yeah definitely i would say i'm gonna like go out of my way to keep an eye on her because she's very impressive wrestling as like a power uh like a power wrestler on the women's side that you don't necessarily see and like i said super great poise and really works to the character so um I was impressed. Not like great, nothing amazing or nothing, but uh, but definitely someone who I'm gonna keep my eye on because I think there's potential there that she can be one of the better women's wrestlers. Um, so I guess did you say the only other thing you watched was Shelly and Yuta? Yep. All right, good. Um, yeah, I don't think I didn't really watch anything else either. There's like some death match and the Rip City Shooters. I don't. Are you a Josh Bishop fan? He's. He's okay. Yeah, like you know, like the one match is what everyone knows. Yeah, Josh Bishop is a real particular guy to me. Like I want to like him and him and him and him him and Matthew Justice both. Like I want to like them both, yeah. but like they don't really like do anything to warrant it. It's it's crazy because I I hear the people who get really into them, you know, and I just I'm so jealous of their style of fandom. Because they seem to be able to get so hyped for, like, really easy stuff. And I want to, but, yeah, I watch him and I just get kind of bored and I don't really see much from him. Um, that said, yeah. he's very gifable. He does some big-time gifable stuff and he looks cool. 
and I want to like his stuff more. But yeah, it's just like, you know, and he's good in certain settings for sure. Like the 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 stuff with Dom was all really good, but yeah, it's just it's a very very particular guy who had just. I want to like him, but he plays... I guess he just plays to a different audience than me. And every now and then, maybe I find stuff I like. Either way. Judas Shelley. This comes out. This opens up. Opens up pretty solid. Like, has has that big fight feel. Real quick. Okay. Yeah. I don't even know. Like, I feel like... Out of all the things that we've done on this show, I feel like talking about this would, like, actually get me in trouble. So, I just won't do it. This match? The introductions. Oh, 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 oh. Yes, yes, yes. Don't worry. We won't. We don't have to nah. get into that. We don't have to get into that. I'm just saying. We open it up. You know, it it feels important. They did a good job, I think, with the commentary talking about the Yuda <laughs> commentary. At one point, even mentions like, um, yeah, you know, we'll never, we'll probably never see another uh, championship reign like War Horses, uh, but you know. Yuta is like the second longest reigning champion and he's at it's just very funny because it's very it's so clearly trying to retcon and be like listen warhorse was only the champion that long because of covid like don't it doesn't count don't like you know don't don't act like yeah please please please, yeah, please, please don't blame us for yeah, this please forget that warhorse is the longest reigning champion we want Yuta to be a really long reigning champion just just count that as the longest it's like do you remember when um was it Cena? I think it was Cena had a really long championship reign and they kept... Or no, it was Punk. When he had that super long reign in WWE and they kept saying, the longest reigning champion of the modern era. And, it, oh, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like, okay, when you start saying stuff like that, you you might as well just say nothing. <laughs> you know? Because it's like, okay, sure. That doesn't mean anything now. Because like, you can define well, like, modern era it, however it's, you like. It's, it's not wrong. It's not, it's not like a terrible thing to be like he has like the... Whatever the fuck it would be like seventh longest reign in WWE history like that wouldn't be a bad thing to say right. yeah exactly but yeah just the longest reign of the modern era they love to say and there's like there was plenty of there was you could you know give him you could give him some props in other ways it was just very funny yeah like you just say he had the seventh longest reign or eighth longest <laughs> reign whatever the fuck it is like there's nothing wrong with that yeah. um so yeah so uh either way i thought that that setting it up they were making it feel important and maybe that's part of why the match was a little bit disappointing. Um, the other thing I'll say is that... Can these commentators stop trying to talk about, like, how Alex Shelley does a job that he knows about the body? It's so fucking weird to me. Because I'm like, Alex Shelley well, was you, a you, good... You, you, Go ahead. You don't like that? No, because they constantly... Are... He could name all the muscles that he's working on right now. and Oh, he's he's this clinician, so he knows how... He knows how to make you feel better, so he knows how to make you hurt. And I'm like, okay, Alex Shelley was a phenomenal technical wrestler before he did that job. So, he already knew all this maybe, stuff. Maybe, maybe, that's what, maybe that's what made him good for the ah, job. Yeah, that's true. See, so that's... They should say the opposite. <laughs> they should say Alex Shelley got so good at hurting people... That he realized that he could make money fixing people. Right? That's how you play it off. Yeah. But instead they do the opposite <laughs> and they try to act like Alex Shelley learned how to like wrestle because of his job that he just started. You know what I mean? Like it's very odd to me. And it, and it also gets annoying when every commentator thinks that they're the first person to bring it up and talk about it, you know? Yeah, but it was... <laughs> 
it would be better. It w- I agree with you. It would be better if they were like, you know, Shelly has always been like this really sound technical mastermind. And him going to school to learn this physical therapy has really only only accentuated that. Like yeah. that, that'd, be, that'd be a much better way to spend it. Yeah, exactly. But they try to turn it into like he learned everything on the textbooks. It's like, no, nah, man, this guy's always been good at this shit. Um, either way, like I said, I think the setup might have been part of why I'm a little bit let down on the match. But this match was just like... It was fucking random. And after seeing the night before with Daniel Garcia where you had a match that really felt like it had a focus um, and the Yuta versus Garcia 60-minute match that really felt like there was a major overarching story being told throughout an entire 60-minute match that then having Yuta and Shelly come out here and just feel like they're kind of like just like doing freestyle jazz and they're not really like doing anything. Um for like 20 minutes and then just it's over just i don't know just not a lot to sink my teeth into here really i hate to say that um and you talked about yuda being such a good heel but we've got like almost none of that here um dude what the fuck was that (laughs) why was why was wheel why was wheeler not playing up the heel stuff what what the fuck is going on and you had like this really great easy story to tell after garcia worked over shelly's leg the night before for the whole match to the point where Shelly can barely walk and you come out here and you just get none of that. You get like, this is like maybe worked like 50, 50. You get Yuda basically like just working tweener. He doesn't even really work heel. Um, and even if you want to argue that the point was that they wanted to just have Shelly like really shine, you didn't even really do that. You didn't even like have Shelly come across like super dominant. And just had all the answers. He still, like, worked kind of underneath for a lot of the match. Um, But, yeah, I just... I don't know. I don't... This match just felt like it was all over the place. I just didn't really get much of a feel for it. Um, Do you have anything else to say about the match? Yeah, I think that so much of this match was, like, really disjointed and confusing. I think that... If you had just gone with the story that was right in front of you and Wheeler being the heel and yeah, Shelly could have had control and then Wheeler could have taken a shortcut or something that wouldn't be the most uh, most courageous and brave way to get an advantage in the match. And then Wheeler working from there, maybe even working the leg a little bit more that Shelly had injured a couple a couple nights before. Like... I feel like there's a way in which to make this match more interesting that just it just didn't happen that they just didn't rock with and I don't I don't I don't know man like the on a technical level on a base level on an execution level this match is good but I don't know if it's an expectations thing or whatever but like this match has had a lot of stuff that kept it from being the level that it could have been, and then some of that's on the wrestlers, some of that's on the setting, on the setting. But I, I expected more from this, and I'm a little disappointed. It's still a solid match, still a good match for the most part. But I, I guess the frustration comes from I wanted it to be better. Yeah, and I, I don't even want to do this fucking fantasy booking bullshit, but it popped in my head instantly like a very easy story to tell. Just say like. Yuta has no respect for Daniel Garcia, so he doesn't want to take advantage of the work that Daniel Garcia set up the night before, right? Like, something stupid like that could at least, like, explain why Yuta doesn't go after the legs here at all. You know, it's just, I don't know, whatever. Like, 
again, the point is not to sit here and fantasy book how this could have been better. The point is to talk about it. And the fucking crazy thing, and the reason why I asked you specifically, do you have anything else to say about the match, is because then we get the post-match promo. And this is why... Nope, I got nothing else here. What's that? I got nothing else here. You can go ahead. So, the surroundings of this match, I thought were great. Like I talked about, you come into it, and you feel like it's being presented as this big deal. It sucks that the fucking crowd is dog shit, and the building is not good, and you're not getting this the buy-in but i feel like they're presenting it strong and then the post-match promo where we've not now we've got like blue collar salt of the earth alex shelley talking about how he's a worker you know he goes in he punches the clock nine to five and this is his art and this is his blow off and this is his kind of higher power that he does separately from that to to you know to basically do something bigger than just like again like yeah like presenting himself or whatever it is like being like a a cog in the machine um and i'm just like this is fucking phenomenal this is so exciting and talking about like you know deserving of his place and deserving of his spot and all that and it's just so fucking cool and exciting and i'm just so into it so i'm just like how is alex shelley this like i don't know like bells and whistles wrestler he's one of the best wrestlers going right now but for some reason this match it felt like was all about like a setup this really felt like it was just like a setup champ like match that was just there to get to where we're going and it just it's fucking weird to think about an alex shelley match winning the championship being like superfluous and the match itself is not the point the point is like all the other stuff that's going on around it. And I am excited because I like this story and I like this idea of of Alex Shelley being the new fucking <laughs> Dusty Rhodes, like, you know, son of a plumber, like, oh, I'm just the working man who I don't I'm not gonna have this big contract, I'm not gonna be a big T V star, I'm just gonna be the normal, you know, ma and pa normal dude who just happens to be like one of the best wrestlers on the planet on my weekends. And uh, going to prove that I deserve or that I'm better than all these young kids who are getting these big shots on TV and all this big money. I'm, like, really excited to see where that goes. Um, what did you think of the promo? Yeah, I feel I feel the same way. And I think that this is what makes the people who make good decisions and run, like, these companies well, right? Is that the problem with being an independent wrestling company and being such a, like a prominent one being independent wrestling TV and having all these promotions that are all in your service that you got to keep track of and their storylines and everything going on with them. That when you roll out a title, you run the risk of someone getting signed and whether that's Jonathan Gresham or orange Cassidy or Chris Statlander or Lee Moriarty or whoever, like you run the risk of people getting signed and you look at the track record of that belt and that's been the case for a lot of how for a, for how uh, a lot of these reigns have been ending, and this is a great decision in the way of like, and I'm, and I'm super excited to see what this Alex Shelley reign could look like. Absolutely, but it's a great decision because Alex Shelley could have gone to NXT and chose not to because he wanted to keep his job, and Alex Shelley could have kept working or found work in major wrestling companies and he's choosing not to because he loves what he's doing as a career. And like that fits perfectly for being this kind of independent wrestler, that weekend warrior that could go out there and work and work on a 
maybe maybe a Thursday, but definitely can give give you work on a Friday, a Saturday, and a Sunday. And you don't run the risk of Alex Shelley ever being like, yeah, I'm gonna pack it up and go be a trainer or go be an agent for one of, for one of these companies. He's made his decision and he's happy with the life he has. And maybe that could change at some point, but like that gives the belt some kind of stability that it hasn't had ever really other than the fact that no one ever was going to fucking sign warhorse but <laughs> but um but it gives the belt a level of stability that like it has never had before and for that reason i think that makes it a very interesting time and exciting time to see what could happen yeah no it is definitely very exciting and the stuff you all that you said there is all obviously very true I do think that maybe... Especially, especially the Warhorse part? Yes, especially. That's the most true part of the entire thing. Um, blame it on Cody, <laughs> though. He clearly did a political hit job on him by bombing their match on AEW because he headed out for Warhorse. Um, but uh, but here's the thing. We have to start now. We have to petition. We should do a you know change.org petition for this. We should get people to do the hashtags, whatever. But... I mean, you talked about it, Alex Shelley, his position and where he's at and why you don't have to worry about, you know, what he's going to do with the championship. There's another wrestler who's not really seems to be very into his career, is not really interested in signing to any of the major companies who Alex Shelley should be defending that title against in their match in in without a cause coming up here shortly is Daniel Makabe. You could trust him just as much to be stable. He'll keep the championship. How many fucking ex-IWTV champions has Daniel Makabe already beaten? He deserves a title shot at this point. And uh, I just think... Shelly? I don't know why Shelly's not putting the title up. I think he should. I think he should be forced. I think it should be required that uh, Alex Shelly puts that title up for grabs against Daniel Makabe in, in, uh, without a cause here in their match coming up. I don't know if you agree, but uh, I think you do. I mean, of course. Like, I don't know. Maybe they do a thing, and it's like, I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> maybe Dan could win, and they run it back. Who, yeah, who, yeah, who yeah. knows? But like, real quick, that, that's that's on, that's on, that's 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 on like the top of the list for sure. Um, I mean, shit, man. Like, how much would you? How much do you want to see like Alex Shelley versus Jeremy Wyatt in like St. Yes. Louis Anarchy for the for uh for for the title? Yeah, of course. Like if like if we're like if we're gonna have we're gonna if we're gonna introduce Alex Shelley to this to the IWTV like universe like I want to go all I want to go all in here I want I want fucking I want I want all of that stuff <laughs> yeah well, I mean we talked about him earlier but Eric Royal Eric Royal versus uh Alex Shelley in action like are you telling me that's not a match you want to see oh hey or like you know Kevin like, Koo versus Alex Shelley in sup uh yeah uh, yeah Koo is unsigned for the most I mean MLW but like you know eh, whatever um like but yeah like or like him versus Dom, like there's, like Alex Shelley's one of the people where you want to see him versus anybody. They want to, like, resurrect fucking Sage Phillips. Like, I, <laughs> like, like, I'll watch I, it. I'll know, watch was, was he, was he, was he named during speaking out? I'm not sure. If I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I no, I don't think so. Okay, like, but like Alex Shelley versus like Sage Phillips or some shit. Like, I'll, I'll take Alex Shelley versus Logan. Easton LaRue um, La, La or, or, or whatever. Like, I'll take that. Uh, oh, the, uh, you mean the blank man? Is that what, <laughs> is that what he is? <laughs> yeah, he's... The, the last time I've seen him wrestle, he was blank. Oh, okay. I, I, last time I remember, I remember seeing him, like, he was, like, still, like, paired with Alexander James. Like, I don't know if that was still a thing. <laughs> Maybe. I'm not sure. But, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I would take that. I would watch that, for sure. Um, 
There's, I mean, there's a ton of Alex Shelley matches still out there that are very exciting. The one thing that's not exciting is uh, just seeing Alex Shelley getting announced for returning to GCW. Did you see that? Yeah, um, was like probably gonna be fucking Shelley versus Chris Dickinson or some shit. Of course, but it's just it's maybe, like maybe, maybe not even that, but probably be like Jordan Oliver. Right. No, of course, but it's just like okay, why did that happen to get announced? Like right around the same time that this happened, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's not oh, related. Oh well. But uh, it's not. Uh... It po- po- it's po- possibly, possibly, it could be not related. But we you know we don't gotta pretend that like IWTV and GCW are on the best of terms. Exactly. So. Hopefully they're not trying to pull shit because you see there's not a ton of wrestlers who uh, who do crossover between IWTV and GCW. So we'll see. Hopefully moving forward, nothing uh, nothing happens there. All right. So we uh, I don't think you have anything to say more about like that like no, no. little uh, tour through the U.S. Indies. We we can uh, finish up talking about some of the big stuff from Stardom. Did you want to talk about Davey versus? Garcia at all separately on its own, or do you feel like? Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it was I the AW the AW match is better. Sure, like that's about the only thing I really have to say about it, to be honest. Yeah, 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 that's for sure. Um, it sucks because I was really excited about seeing Davy in Bloodsport, but uh, this weekend did not really get me super excited for Davy. Like what his uh. Hey. Davey's not being fucking. Uh, he needs to be fucking Davey, man. Like, like I like okay, like all this like working the mat stuff is cool, and he's like picked his opponents like pretty like you know carefully for the most part. But like, dude, just fucking kick people, please. <laughs> like, like damn, man. Yeah. Like, I, I get it. Like, you have the whole BJJ background. I get it, man. You want people that you can go out there and roll around with. You've Pick people that can do that day. You can do that. Do, do that with. That's cool. I, I want Davy to kick people, and he's done that. But I would. I, I like my Davy kicking people. That's how I like my Davy. Fair, fair. I can't blame you. I guess. Okay. Now I'm getting all excited talking about Bloodsport. Maybe we'll do a quick little Bloodsport preview because we already talked about it off air. But we are going to review it for sure because of me going live, and we're going to have a special guest um, on with us making a podcast debut, basically. Um, and just quickly, just some quick stuff that there's matches. Davey's got Yu Yamura, like I talked about. I was really excited about Davey. And that'll Bloodsport. that'll be that'll be good. Yeah, that'll be good. That should kick ass. Um, Yo-Yo versus Starboy Charlie. I guess this just got announced, and I didn't even realize it, or maybe it was announced a little bit ago. That's a very interesting shoot fight situation. Um, and I was talking about Starboy. That's a chance for him to stand out. Um, Tankman versus Kratos. That's gonna be fucking wild. Um, filthy Tom Lawler versus Alex Coughlin. That's going to be a lot of fun because Coughlin has really shown uh, that he can kick ass in the shoot fight. Uh, and Josh Barnett taking on Tiger Ruas, the uh, what's his former NXT name? Um, oh, I can't even remember. Uh, Adrian uh, Adrian Ruas or whatever like that. Uh, but yeah, that should be. Pretty exciting. Bloodsport, like I said, be prepared for a Bloodsport review next week. Um, live report slash uh, pay-per-view report. Just to get people excited for that one. Uh, Quentin, what, uh, do you have any any thoughts on any of those matchups or anything I mentioned there? Oh, I think we also have uh, Marina Shafir versus uh, 
Oh, I can't remember who. Eh. Maria Marina is on the card, yeah, though. Yeah. I know that. God damn, she's wrestling someone, and it's a, it's actually a pretty solid match. I can't remember who it is, and this is why it's is it Masha. So... Is it is it is it Masha? Uh, actually, I think that is it. Yeah. Yes, Marina um, Shafir versus Macha Slamovic. You're getting uh, the uh, Croatian block. You're getting the yeah the. Uh, uh, the Slavs <laughs> going at it one on one. That's going to be a the Eastern, the Eastern, the Eastern European yeah. uh, segment. Exactly. We'll, we'll, we'll be very pleased with this That's one. It's going to be a very fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, you and Mora has been really good. Um, and the stuff, and the stuff that I've gotten to see from him and his, uh, in his excursion since he's been in the U.S. He's been, he's, he's probably been the. You know, I'm not counting like the Carl Fredericks, like uh, cough, like Coughlin. Clark Connors guys because I feel like they've like really been like, been super consistent. Uamora has been really really good. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited for that. That should be that should be really solid. Um, and I think Coglin Coglin and Lawler might end up being the match of the night. Um, like for it could it could for sure. Coglin out of out of the whole class, I feel like Coglin doesn't get talked about the least, and he's very good. I think he's very. Good. I think he's honestly been the best in uh, in the shoot style. Out of all of that class. Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah, totally. so I think that that could be the best match technically, but I think that the funnest match live or possibly on tape too, Tankman and Kratos might be insane. Um, just because how two big motherfuckers just going at it I think could be a lot of fun. Um, either way, like you talked about, we'll get into stardom. Um, I guess... I. You know what, Quentin? You you run the show here on the Stardom. Feel free to uh, <laughs> walk me through this. Through this, I watched. I, I think I told you what I watched, but you know, feel free to go through what you like. Okay, let me pull the card up for us real quick. Don't usually be the one to take the reins and 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 lead and lead and lead the topics here. Um, okay, let's start off with. Uh, did you watch? Um, I, so I watched everything from like the uh, tag titles down. So did you catch uh, Donna Del Mondo of Himeka, Micah, and Natsupoi versus Queen's Quest of Azumi, Momo Watanabe, and Saya Kamatani? Um, I did not. Yeah, but okay. feel free. This this was this was this was good. Uh, probably my second favorite match on the show. Really fun. I, I I love the I love this Queen's Quest team and Natsupoi and Azumi are, all, are always going to have incredible chemistry. This was this was really good. Uh, I know that you didn't see this, but if I would not must watch, but I would say go back and watch this if you had some time. Well, it's very interesting too because after the talk we had with Jay uh, last week about Queen's Quest, that like like you said, this is like a really good Queen's Quest team. So um, I will. They're not a bad unit in terms of talent. It's just like. You know, like the ghost of EO still like lingers. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so yeah. Um, oh, sorry. You didn't see Kaguma Kaguma versus Hazuki, did you? I did not see the whole thing, but I like kind of I kind of skipped through it on like two times speed, so I can uh, maybe add in some thoughts. I thought that Kaguma selling yeah, was Huz- really good. Yeah, uh, Hazuki looked good in her return match. I uh, miss Hazuki. Anyone that's a stardom fan, I assume Miss Hazuki. She was always a really valuable and fun member of the roster. And her and Kaguma had a fun match. I think they're teaming in the stardom tag tournament. I think I think I think that's what happened. 
Uh, could be wrong. JML will probably correct me afterwards. Please. But I'm pretty sure that's what's happening. But this is a fun match. Um, this is supposed to be Sierra versus Konami on here. Konami is either sick or got injured. So we're turning to Sierra versus Saki, Kash- um, Saki Kashima. I didn't watch it. I was uh, wasn't wasn't interested once the opponent got changed. Yeah. Uh, going to some stuff that I know you watched. You oh, did watch say, Tam Nakano versus. I was not interested in this either, but I did actually go back and watch it. Um, oh, you did. Yeah, okay. Shuri looked fine. Uh, there was a very very funny spot where uh, Sasaki like tried to pull guard basically, um, and was like challenging uh, Shuri to come into come into her guard and Shuri just like grabbed her leg and like nothing and just took it um which I thought was very interesting and the whole match was kind of that way um and it was basically just Shuri picking the bones over this really really not uh not on her level kind of wrestler but uh, I do think that they I don't know maybe they should have given Saki something especially because this match was a title match and it was like third from the top that you wouldn't have like just completely made uh Saki look like a joke you know, like, yeah. Yeah, but, like, but the level of credibility she has going up against Sherry is, like, it's not the same credibility that, like, Konami has. Sure, but I'm just, like, at that point, then, then drop the match. Or, not drop the match, but, like, drop it on the card. Don't have it be third from the top, then. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah, I, I, I agree with yeah. that. That would be my only thing. It's just, it to me, you put it in that position, you should at least, like, give me something that is, like, feels like a serious match and doesn't feel like a fucking, like... A mismatch that like shouldn't have gotten cleared by the commission or whatever, you know. All right, uh, wonder of stardom title match: Tam Nakano versus Mayu Iwatani. Uh, my favorite match of the show, yes. very by a very wide margin, one of my favorite matches of the year. Um, the story of Tam and Mayu is a really interesting and emotional one, uh, dating back to when Tam was in um Edotai and. Once she got kicked out and Mayu gave her a place in stars and really rejuvenated Tam's career and Tam started to have ambitions of her own outside of being in Mayu's unit and spawned cosmic angels out of that. So there's a lot of history involved here and I think that that ma- the matches worked that way. Uh, a lot of nastiness and stiffness from them. Everything looked crisp and really good. Um... Really, just like a level of investment in the story. This was the one match that I wanted to make sure that I went in unspoiled for. I deliberately made sure, like, oh, the stardom show happened. And I made sure to not look at anything on Twitter. And I skipped straight to this match because I wanted to be unspoiled on it. And I think that that really, really helped me getting into it. So I might be a high, I might be a high man on it. I know where our guy Joseph didn't like it as much as I did. JML on his first watch didn't like it as much as I did. But I loved it. One of my favorite, one of my favorite matches of the year. Uh, you know, I love the long matches. I love draws. I love stuff like that. This goes 30, this goes to a time limit draw. And I feel like, uh, it really sets the table for a bigger and possibly better match from them. And I'm just invested in the story of Tam getting this win over this person that like saved her career, but she doesn't really need anymore. And like quietly, and I've seen some people like saying this, but like Tam Nakano, like, for what, like, for what some people look for in wrestling, the kind of emotional aspect, yes. Tam Nakano's become one of the best wrestlers in the yep. world. And and if you said that, like, three years ago, people would have looked at you like you're, like you're crazy. But Tam Nakano really is one of the best wrestlers in the world right now. And everything Tam does feels must-see. Feels, like uh, feels like it's the heartbeat 
of the promotion in a way that like you know like you know like Kyrie did you know like everything that Kyrie did for like the heartbeat of the heartbeat of the promotion even when she went down to the white belt and that's the kind of feeling that I'm getting from Tam right now and Mayu's just so good Mayu's like again again like I know I've said this a couple of times but like when we do our pandemic era wrestlers of the wrestlers of the pandemic Mayu has a really good shot of being my number one I think that she has been the best wrestler in the world for the last two years and she brought her a game here she's rude nasty mean she is this incredible combination of both Kyrie and EO which I think I've, I've felt that way since 2016 about her I felt that way since 2017 about her but people don't really frame it that way and she's just on another level and everything that she does just has a ridiculously high ceiling and a ridiculously high floor. Even if this wasn't one of the best matches of the year, this would still maybe be the best match on the card and still be at worst like three and a half and three or three fourths. But they had an incredible match and they, and I went four and a half on it. I loved it. Yeah. There's like, you talked about with Tam being, one of the best like workers i would say you know again this is like the cody Rhodes thing i talked about just recently like worker wise tam is like one of the best workers in fucking wrestling it's it's amazing the way that she just really like gives you everything full body performances basically like completely buys into it on the surface level and then deeper to tell the overarching stories um repeatedly the emotion it's like again playing to the cheap seats and then also playing to the fucking you know the paparazzi camera that's right up front taking the close-up shots like it's so fucking good to see how she's able to pull that off um my you talked about mayu's like aggressiveness and the, and the mean streak but another part of it in here was the disdain that Mayu had throughout the match to Tam that it almost at times felt like Mayu didn't, she didn't want to give more than she had to because she kept repeatedly that what I was feeling was that Mayu like didn't want to like interact with Tam more than she needed to just to beat her. That was like how I repeatedly felt the way that she would just when she was on top, when she was in control, she would just stop and give, like, dismissive looks towards Tam and not, like, push it and not, like, be on top of her. And not- if, 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 it, felt like, it felt like Walter versus Davis Starks. Yes. And, like, in, in, like, the way where, like, you know that this is everything for David Starr and Walter just, like, kind of, like, slightly annoyed and, like, kind of, like, pissed off. Like, this guy is like, like, all right, man, what the fuck is this dude's problem? Like... If you look at it from Miley's perspective, Tam looks at it like I need to like gain my independence, and in order to like really feel like I've accomplished things on my own, I need to beat you, Mayu, despite all the things that you did for me. And Mayu looks at it like, okay, you started bringing people into the into my into the unit without consulting it with the rest of the team. Then you leave after like us like helping you. Like what the fuck? Like what's what, what's your deal? Yeah. And just this this level, like I said, disdain. This level of just like I don't. I shouldn't have to fucking deal with this. You should have just known your place and you should have just stayed there and you should still just know your place and you shouldn't make me have to fucking deal with your bullshit. And it's just, yeah, the, again, like the way that that came and I love the part of the reason why Tam is so great is because she's able to like be so disheveled 
and just come across like this ragamuffin who you understand why why uh Mayu has this like this opinion of her looking at her lower by the end of a by the end of every Tam Nakano match she looks like she's been through the fucking ringer you know there's just no air of like pretension to her she puts everything in there it takes her everything that she has to get through every fucking match and she just looks like just ragged fucking stray dog by the end of her match and again it's like that's why someone like Mayu Mayu is just like very dismissive of her it's like you know this she just doesn't have the poise she's not at her level she's just not that she doesn't deserve to be she keeps she's constantly hitting outside of her league she's constantly out kicking her coverage it's it's so impressive it's so great to watch like someone like that and and you buy into them so much like again Tam Nakano like you said one of the best workers in wrestling just everyone can fucking relate to that everyone can get into it you just you love to see someone like that who just repeatedly brings it i mean you know talk about el generico greatest baby faces of all time you know it's that thing it's like this goofy gimmick this this comedy character that should not be able to get your emotions into it this you know this underneath you know lower class kind of presented wrestlers this too big for her britches every time out there. Like she, like then, she, like she's a former idol. She comes from the idol world, and like her wrestling career didn't really like take like full form. She was like the comedy manager in Edo Tai, and then like stars revived her career, and now she. You can argue that she like she's like she's like, the best champion in stardom, and like, ma- like the person that you most want to see like main event a show like. You want to see Tam versus Mayu in a no time limit match go out there and be like, all right, let's settle, let's settle this once and for all. You want to see Tam come out and be like, all right, Utami, like, I know that you're the anointed one, but I worked and clawed my way to get to this point. I want to fight you. Like, you want to see anything right. that Tam does. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we get into the, the, the deeper politics of it because it's like this idea that you want to believe that somehow you're indoctrinated enough that if you work hard enough, you can overcome your station in life, your class, you know what I mean? And that's why right. we all buy into it. Cause you see yourself there. You see yourself as being able to outwork it. And unfortunately, you know, the real world is not pro wrestling. It's not booked. So you don't, you, you'll never actually make it there, but goddamn, for those few minutes that you watch Tam Nakano, you believe that like you can do it too, that you can work, your, you can work that hard. If you were able to work that hard, you could, you could, you know, again, outkick your coverage. You can move up, the social ladder and go from being like you said go from being an idol to being one of the greatest professional wrestlers in the world and that's again that's why people buy into her and that's why she's such a phenomenal worker because you still buy into her 100 percent every time when she goes out there she has to work her fucking ass off to get the little scraps that she gets even as a champion but uh but fucking hell if it's not enjoyable to watch Uh, going from that to disappointing. Uh, Utami versus uh Takumi Aroha. I don't, I don't know if I don't know you felt about this, but um, you can go first. More of a fight, more you know, again like equals kind of thing. I I I liked some of Aroha's work. Um, Takumi Aroha was very very stiff at times, very aggressive and violent. Had some decent selling. Utami. I don't know. Utami is so interesting to me because she really, really needs the right dance partner. And luckily for her, Stardom has a ton of great wrestlers. 
so she gets the right person more often than not but she just for being the position that she is just kind of wish that you would get a more consistent performance talked about it with tam it's like tam you know what you're getting and it's always going to be great and utami it's just kind of she really has to be in there with someone who's going to bring the emotion and bring the rest of the the kind of the the buy-in to the match and aroha phenomenal execution wise she her own like like i said her own selling and stuff was good but i just i never got super invested in anything and we've we've talked about it before kind of the bushi roadification the new japanification of stardom and this is kind of some of that here too where it just felt like you had to go to a certain length you had to hit a lot of big bombs you had to like kind of do some some false finishes like and that was kind of it at the end of it and i just didn't i don't know felt very empty at the end of it and i'm not necessarily someone who doesn't think that you can do like a big time title match with an outside challenger like this and just have it be like this you know epic fucking bomb throwing competition that ends in a big you know big finish but i just they just they just didn't hit that mark ever for me here um i don't think it was terrible though but quentin what did you think yeah it's not a terrible match like for the most part it's like a fine solid like maybe even good match but like i don't know but maybe like this is like you know uh my karma for all my years of okada enjoyment in defending okada like this is what it feels like this is what it feels like to be on the outside end of okada and like maybe like i don't think utami's cut out for this kind of stuff yet like i'm not saying that she can't be but utami going 30 minutes utami going 40 minutes utami doing all this stuff it feels like this is not what she should be doing yet and i don't think that they're really putting her in the position as to when like you know really like finding out her strengths and everything like that she's not a big bomb thrower her she doesn't have this vast array of strikes she doesn't have like these super memorable spots i wouldn't say so like what exactly is the point of utami having these like these long matches i don't think that they've done things to maximize utami's strengths at all during this during this and like maybe during 2020 they did and when i go back and watch some of the 2020 stardom stuff that maybe that's some of the stuff like click better. Like maybe Utami versus Mayu clicked better, but this, but between the um the Sherry match and this here, it's it's fine. It's good. They're competent wrestlers. Takumi Oroha tries her ass off. Like the leg selling and her fire and like her personality and charisma really hold the match together. But like I just don't think Utami is like ready for this stuff yet and. People are going to treat her like she's a star, like she's one of the best wrestlers in the world because she's going out there and having 30-minute matches and 40-minute matches. But I'm not sure, like, I mean, I guess, like, we'll see. Like, maybe she's over. Like, we'll really have a good idea of how over Utami is when when the fans are allowed to come back at full capacity and people are allowed to cheer. But it just feels like she's going out there and having these long matches and presenting, presenting the idea that she's a star. And to her credit, she presents it really well she took to her gimmick really well when when she got out of those rookie stages she took to it really well and really quickly but 
it feels like she's meant to be a star. She's presented as a star, but I don't quite buy into it yet because they put her in these situations where she feels like she's lacking. And I liked her. I liked her a lot. Her, I liked her a lot her rookie year. I thought she showed a lot of promise. I think anyone that was watching Stardom around that time liked Utami. But I don't know. I just don't think that she's cut out for this yet. Yeah. No, I mean, that's definitely... I think very similar to my feeling there on, on, on it, too. It's just... I'm not... I'm not... Uh... Not a hundred percent sure what I'm, how I'm supposed to feel about her title reign, as well. I think I guess you know I'm supposed to feel like she's dominant, but I just am I supposed to like be happy that she's dominant or be upset about it? Like I don't really get much beyond that. Um, and like you said, just not uh, not uh, not accentuating her strongest suits again feeling like it's being very forced to work a certain style of match that doesn't necessarily work um but they've you know it's like the netflix thing you have this like uh you have this uh algorithm that like calculates okay this is the kind of main events that people want to see it has to go this long and have this many kickouts and it's just you know you can't just stick everyone into that into that hole but i don't know either way um Quentin, do you have anything else you want to get into before we head out? Oh, yeah, we're going to spend the next hour and a half talking about uh, Dave Chappelle's special. Okay, here we go. Um, so, I don't know about you, but I'm not Team Turf. Um, either way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, why is this guy... Seriously, why does he do a comedy special and then spends the fucking like second half of it talking about trans stuff? Like... I've made multiple tweets about it at this point, but I just think it's insane that Dave Chappelle is, like, the preeminent fucking uh, gender-critical uh, mind in all of America at this point. Like, why is this motherfucker spending so much time talking about this shit? He's a, supposed to be a comedian. <laughs> he did it, he did it, the, he did it the one special, and then he just, like, had to keep doing it because people kept talking about it, and then it's like, yeah. 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 <laughs> Whatever. That's cool. I will. I have not watched a, a Chappelle special in a very long time. I'm not going to watch any of these. I just he's just not. I'd rather just appreciate when he was funny. I guess would be my thing. Yeah, like I think the problem with Dave is that, like, on his face, it's like, okay, like, sure, we should, like, there is a, I guess, the discrepancy between like the black straight in like um cishet communities in the white lgbt lgbtq ones like okay sure let's talk about it then it's like zero acknowledgement of like the existence of or the trials and hardships of black lgbtq people on top of like saying i'm team turf in like gender is a fact and right. all types of shit like on top of on top of that yeah no it's fucking just brutal stuff and whatever i'm not getting into this quentin <laughs> <laughs> i almost i almost got you, you you got me really close to biting i'm like getting i'm like honestly upset about it like i really am i don't want to be but i i am in a lot of different ways but it's a uh, you know it is what it is Either way, like I said, we're excited. It probably, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, it probably won't be next week that we do the uh, Bloodsport episode. But uh, either way, get excited, people, because 
We got big stuff coming. All right. If that's it for you, then uh, thank you all for listening. We'll be back, whether it's Bloodsport next week or whatever the fuck it is next week. We'll figure it out because wrestling is always happening. <laughs> but we'll talk to you, we'll talk to you guys next week. Maybe do some G1. Uh, we'll see. But thank you all for listening, and hope you're here next time. Thank you.